time in his word. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the work of your grace in John's life and rescuing him from a life of trying to um, rely on his own power, the power of his own words to save himself and to save others. Thank you for rescuing him from being a false teacher, for showing him the true grace of God found in the gospel, Lord. We pray that you would bless his ministry to those on the streets here in Tulsa uh, and to grace and peace and the church of Jesus Christ wherever he goes, wherever he ministers and wherever he preaches. And we thank you for this word, that your word brings life. You alone have the words of life, Lord. And so we pray now as we come to it that you would give us life. Help us to know you and to know Jesus more through this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning we're going to study God's power from Psalm 62. Uh, We're in the middle of a sermon series on the attributes of God. Remember, our, our hope is that we can learn to know God more through Jesus. And that through Jesus, we would find eternal life, true life, as John was describing earlier. Uh, A few years ago, uh, my pastor uh, shared a story. It's actually a long time ago. He said that when he was in seminary, he met a man from another country. And that that man was telling him about his country and his customs and things that they had to do. Uh, And he said that he had to do something uh, very hard and what would be very strange for us before he could marry someone. Right? That he, he wanted to marry his wife. But before he could marry her, he had to go and kill a hippo with a spear. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a hippo in the wild. I haven't. I've seen them at the zoo. They're very domesticated animals. Uh, but in the wild, hippos are fierce animals. And by killing a hippo with a spear, he was showing his... Uh, father-in-law and his future wife, that he had the power and the love to provide for his new wife. Uh, maybe someday I'll ask my, you know, wouldn't that be a funny joke? If like to, a guy comes to you and says, hey, can I marry your daughter? And you say, hey, why don't you go kill a hippo first? Right? Just imagine saying that in our culture. But he had to do that to show that he had the power and the love for his wife. And imagine through the years as they get married, she could always draw back on that and go, this guy loved me so much, he killed the hippo for me. Right? Uh, well, this morning, as we, as we press into Psalm 62 and as we look at what the Bible teaches about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what I want you to see is that we never have to wonder about God's power and his love for us. In the gospel, we see that God is almighty God. And we see that he is a loving father. And if he uh, loved us so much that he gave his only son for us, uh, that we can trust him with everything in our lives. He has both the power and the love that we need to trust him at all times, in all ways. We can trust in his love and his power. Right? Right? David declares the power of God in Psalm 62, verse 11. He writes, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. God's power is his ability to do whatever he pleases. As we've been saying all along as we looked at at his attributes, right? Um, that, That all of his attributes are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And as you look through all the scriptures... You see that God's power is infinite. 
Uh, Jeremiah 32 verse 7 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you that have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Uh, God's power is eternal. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Uh, God's power is unchangeable. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God can do whatever he wills. Right Now, he can't, he can't do anything. He can't lie. He can't change. He can't sin. But anything that he wants to do, he can do. He can do all of his holy will. If you, uh, if you study the scriptures, if you've read the Bible, uh, and, and you look to the life of David, uh, we don't know when he wrote this psalm. We don't know what he's thinking about. But we know, uh, we know what maybe he might be drawing on. Um, David probably heard about God's mighty power when he did, heard the stories about God uh, delivering Israel from Egypt. He probably heard the story about the plagues and about the parting of the Red Sea and about God's power as he saved his people. Um, David probably saw God's mighty power in creation while he was taking care of the sheep in the pasture when he was his father's little shepherd boy out there watching the sheep. Um, David probably felt God's mighty power when he was slaying Goliath. right? When he, was, when he defeated this mighty Philistine, he probably knew there was God's power that did it. All of those experiences would have been cemented in his heart and his mind as he was writing verse 11. All power belongs to God. But notice that's not what all he writes. Right? He says, power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. If you've been here for any length of time, you've probably heard me say this before. God's steadfast love is his covenant love. A covenant is a promise that is both legal and loving. God has bound himself to love us. And that's the love that he loves us. It's his never stopping, never giving up love. He uses his power to love us with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love throughout the centuries, throughout the ages. God, um, God's power is not just this, this raw, uncontrollable power where God just does whatever. God's power is, is aimed by love. And it, 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 whatever he is doing, he's doing out of love. Uh, I remember whenever I was a kid, uh, my dad used to take me to watch the power team. Anybody ever go watch the power team, right? We, we would go to these big auditoriums and be filled with people and the power team would come out and they have all these muscles and they would um, bend bars with their hands. They would shred telephone books. They would break bricks. And I just remember as a, as a child sitting there and I just marveling at how strong these men were, how powerful they were. But I can tell you that those are the most powerful men I've ever seen, but I never loved them. I didn't walk out of the arena loving those men. I didn't walk out of the arena saying, those men are my God. I didn't walk out of the arena trusting and obeying those men because their power didn't show me their love. <coughs> power without love brings fear, not trust. 
Uh, James tells us that even the demons believe in God. They even the demons believe that God is powerful and they shudder. What is powerful is power with love. And God's power is a loving power. And when you see that God's power is aimed with love and directed with love, that love has power to change you. That love has power to change you in every circumstance. And so as we look at this, uh, as we look at this passage, what we see is that God's love is powerful. And because it's powerful, we can trust him. We can trust him in silence. We can trust him in prayer. And we can trust him in wealth. So three things we're going to look at. Because God's love is powerful, we can trust him in silence. We can trust him in prayer. And we can trust him in wealth. Uh, kids, you have an advantage when it comes to trusting God. Okay, so listen, I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit uh, in, in the second point. Okay, first, we can trust God in silence. If you look at verse 1, you see that David is trusting God in silence. He says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. He says it twice. He says it again in verse 5. For God alone, my soul wait in silence. Now, what is he talking about here? Who, who's being silent? Okay. Well, we know it's not David's enemies because it says that his enemies are uttering lies. So his enemies are talking. We know that David is talking because he says he's pouring out his heart in prayer and he's actually writing this song. So who is being silent in the passage? It's God. God is being silent. David is hearing the accusations of his enemies. David is pouring out his heart to God and he hears nothing. Sometimes when we suffer, we don't hear from God. We don't know where he's at. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know why he's doing it. Uh, There's a, a whole book of the Bible about a man who experiences this. His name is Job. And Job describes a man who suffered greatly. He was a wealthy man. He had friends. He had family. He had it all. And God in his great power allowed Satan the power to take all that away from him. He lost his family. He lost his business. He lost his health. He lost everything but his life. And for 37 chapters, Job asks God question after question after question. And God says nothing. He's silent. Have you ever been in that situation before? You've been in a situation where you don't understand your suffering. You don't understand what God is doing. You don't understand why he's doing it. And you're pouring out your heart to him. And yet he says nothing. Sometimes God is silent. We're shaken. We're shaken by what we're going through. And God says nothing. What do we do? What do we do in those times? We go back... (laughs) For us, we have the luxury of going back and reading what God says in his word. That God has spoken in his word. Uh, David knew because of what God had done in the past that God was going to be faithful in the present. He knew he could trust him even though he wasn't speaking. He still knew that God was his fortress. God was his hope. God was, was his salvation. God was his refuge because God had said it in his word and God had been faithful to keep his promises throughout the generations. Well, you and I have a resource that Job didn't have. 
We have uh, the Word of God written. We have our Bibles. We have the promises of God in the Bibles. And we have God's Word in His only Son, Jesus. Jesus was the Word of God. Jesus was God's only Son. And God loved us so much that He gave His only Son on the cross for us. And when Jesus cried out for God on the cross, guess what He heard? Silence. Nothing. He heard silence. So that when we suffer, we can cry out to God in silence and trust God's loving power. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know what suffering you're going through. I don't know what suffering you're going to go through. But I know that if God loves you so much, he gave his only son for you, you can trust his power. And you can trust his love. And you can trust his wisdom. See, all the attributes of God work together. God's power, we're going to study lots of different attributes, but God's power is, last week we talked about being his wisdom, God's power is wise. He knows the best way to use his power. God's power is holy. Everything that he does is sinless and perfect. God's power is just. He uses his power to give what is right and good. God's power is good. God's power is true. Whatever you're going through, even in the suffering, you can know that God is doing something good with his power. Because he loves you. And he gave his only son for you. So the first thing we see is that we can trust God's power in silence. The second thing we see, though, is that we can trust God's power in prayer. We, we can, during these times, and in fact, during all times, we can pray. We can cry out to God. David says it. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Uh, throughout the Psalms, you see... David and the other psalmists expressing a full range of emotions. Happiness, sadness, joy, suffering, pain, sorrow, loss. Everything that you experience, he is pouring his heart to God, heart out to God. And he's doing it in all circumstances. Right here, he, he's suffering uh, from, he has people who are lying about him. They're spreading falsehoods. They may be slandering him, which slander means that you are uttering lies. They may be gossiping about him. Uh, Gossiping means that you are misusing the truth to hurt people. Uh, It looks like they're also flattering him. They're they're saying uh, nice things about him to his face while he knows in his heart that they curse him. We're going to experience the same thing. We're going to experience in this life the sinfulness of man. That people that we trust, people that we love, people that we care about are going to lie about us behind our backs and to our faces. And we are going to lie about people behind their backs and to their faces. And it will shake us. And David is saying it's in those times and in every other time that we can pour out our God in prayer. Pour out our hearts to God in prayer and learn to trust his power. Um, uh, my prayer life has come in uh, fits and starts. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, probably like everybody. It's something that's developed over the course of my life. I, I remember being a, pretty, uh, a young kid, and at night, uh, my prayer life solely consists of reciting the Lord's Prayer. That's all I knew the Lord's Prayer. And so before I went to bed, I would just recite that. I would live my own strength all day long and then recite the Lord's Prayer at night. 
Uh, and then as I grew into, into my faith as a Christian, I would have these devotional times where I'd read my Bible and I would pray and I would pray during that devotional time. But the rest of my life, I would live under my own power. It was like, you know, I had this little divide in my life, the, the sacred-secular divide. But, you know, I had my sacred time with Jesus, and I would pray, and the rest of my time, I would just go live life under my own power. And I think um, what I would often do is also uh, offer up what I call Hail, Hail Mary plays. And this is particularly appropriate during football season. You guys know what a Hail Mary play is? Hail Mary play is where you work under your own power for four quarters, and you get to the end of the game, and the game is on the line, and you've only got one chance to win the game. And so in the football, you just throw up a Hail Mary pass. Well, I would just throw up Hail Mary prayers, right? Like, hey, Lord, all right, I worked real hard all week to try to, to, try to uh, love my wife, and I can't do it now. Hey, I'm throwing up a Hail Mary. Please help me, right? That was my prayer life. And what I've learned um, as I've gotten older and as I've gone through my Hail Mary prayers is that um, true prayer. Uh, as you, ironically, as you grow older, as you grow, grow more mature in your prayer life, means becoming more and more like a little child. Like Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Because the kingdom of heaven is such as this. Why is the kingdom of heaven made of little children? It's because they're, they're needy. And they're dependent. And they're weak. And they rely on their parents for everything. Kids, you have advantage. You can understand prayer better than we can. You can understand what it means to a Christian better than us. Anytime that you go to mommy and daddy and you ask them for something, you are, you are modeling what it means to go to your Heavenly Father in prayer. We go to God like little children. We pour out our hearts at all times for all things, whatever you need. You go to Him and you pray. You pray in weakness. And, and you know that God's power is made perfect in weakness. That whatever God gives you is exactly what you need in that moment, in that time, to actually bring you true life. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he tells of a time, he writes in the New Testament, uh, he had a, what, a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. I think that's actually in God's wisdom that we don't know what it was. Uh, because if we knew what it was, uh, then I think, we would, uh, I think we would try to use it to get power. And, you know, it, there would become a source of pride and self-righteousness about it. But we don't know what it was. But what we do know is that Paul prayed for God to take away that thorn three times. And three times God said no. And finally, then God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in your life. In weakness. And that's where you experience true life. Uh, I heard a story this week about a man who was in the Air Force, very successful, strong, tough military man. Uh, but in his career, he, he eventually had to be um, given a 100% medical discharge. And I've not been in the military, but I, from what I've been told, it's hard to get a 100% medical discharge in the military. And the reason why I got that is because he suffered from MS, or multiple sclerosis, and it was debilitating for him. And so they, uh, they gave him his medical discharge. Uh, well, some years later, he was talking to a friend of his who was a pastor, and he was um, talking about his suffering. Um, and he said, 
he told uh, the, his pastor friend this. He said, Al, Al told Jimmy, Jimmy's the pastor telling the story. Al told Jimmy that Christ came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. And for me, the abundant life includes MS. This is the abundant life for me. That is the plan of God for me. That is the plan for welfare and not for calamity. See, Al knew that God's power was made perfect in weakness. And that MS was keeping him weak. And because MS was keeping him weak, that was the very thing that God wanted to use to bring him abundant life. When we pour out to God our prayers, when we pour out our, our sufferings, he may not answer it the way we want. But we can trust that his love is powerful and whatever he's going to give you is exactly what you need to find true life in him. So we can trust him. We can trust him for our prayer. Uh, as Paul says elsewhere, if God gave his only son for us, how will he not graciously give us all things? If he gave his own son for us, he's going to give us exactly what we need. He's going to give us exactly what we need. We can trust God's power in silence. We can trust God's power in prayer. And lastly, we can trust God's power uh, in our wealth. Uh, I, I think it's interesting. He, he goes through um, this passage and, and he gets to the, near the end there. And he says, to those who have low estate are but a breath and those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase... Set not your heart on them. What is he saying here? He's saying that, um, that, that poor people and wealthy people are both in, the, in basically the same situation, right? Um, if, you're, if you're poor, then you're in a position where you lack power and privilege and position. You don't have the finances. You don't have the money to try to save yourself. They're but a breath. They're, they're, they're light. They're airy. They're, they're weightless. But then he says the rich people are in the same spot. He says those of high estate are a delusion. It, it, they, they have this appearance that they have power and prestige from the positions that their money give them. But he says, but if you put them on a balance, they go up. Like we're not used to uh, having a balance, right? But, but back in the old days, that's how they weighed things, right? You would put, you'd put something of weight on one side and you put something of weight on the other side. And if they were of equal um, mass... Or, or weight, then they would balance, right? But whatever was heavier would go down and whatever was lighter would go up. And David is saying that you can take the, the weight of the, the rich and the weight of the poor and you can combine them on the scales and they are always going to go up. Their power is nothing compared to God's power. Their weight, their glory, their honor is nothing compared to God's. And so ultimately he's telling the rich and the poor not to put their trust in the power of money, to put their trust in the power of God. Now, um, most of us in here, right, by, by, by living in America, we are wealthy. We are rich. If you compare us to the people that have existed in all of the world, and certainly the people in human history, we, would, we are the wealthy people. And we're the rich people. 
We, for the most part, we can use our, our money, our wealth as a, a source of power and comfort. It, it is so, and this is part of what's so hard. This is why it's so hard, honestly. It is so hard for us to trust Jesus in America because we have so much money and we can rely on our money. And what David is telling us is don't rely on money for your strength. He's saying money is a counterfeit God. It's a fake God. You think that money is going to save you. You think that money is going to give you a power, a position, a status, but it won't. Ultimately, it's nothing. And so uh, thankfully, in the New Testament, Paul offers some advice. And he might even be uh, riffing off this passage. But if you look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, um, it says this, as, for this. as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what that which is truly life. Paul is saying is that the, the way to, to worship God and not money is to give it away. It's to be generous. It's to share. That's, that's the, the only way that you can um, practice trusting God and not trusting your money is to give it away. And he's saying that, that when we give our money away in the name of Jesus and, and we trust that the Lord is going to use it and we invest that money in good works uh, that, that further the gospel and that glorify God and that help others, um, that, that God is using that both in this world to build his kingdom and he's actually using it in our hearts to help us to trust Jesus for eternal life. This is not... What John was talking about, the prosperity gospel, what I'm not talking about is the prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you give your money to God, that he is going to give you more wealth. It's not what this text is saying. What this text is saying is that we're to use our wealth to invest in God's kingdom. And by that, we're going to have true life. And true life is not wealth. Jesus said true life is what? Knowing God through Jesus Christ. By using our money for God's kingdom, we're going to know God more. We're going to experience Him more. Um, I um, I heard a story uh, about a, a family that I thought really really embodied this sort of spirit of giving and generosity. Uh, they are you know the the they're involved in the oil and gas business, and because of the war in Ukraine, they had profited off the oil and gas business. They had made a lot of money off of that. Right? And because of that, their Christmas bonus was much higher than normal. And so at the end of the year, they thought, well, what are we going to do with this Christmas bonus that we essentially made off of these people in the Ukraine that are going through a terrible war? And so what they decided to do was they partnered with a missionary in Ukraine to use that money to buy generators for people in the Ukraine so that they could be comforted. So instead of using the money just for themselves, they decided to reinvest that money in the kingdom. And the missionaries are going to help the people in Ukraine. That's the, that's the kind of thing that, that I think God wants us to, to do with our money. He wants us to see it as a tool to invest in others and a tool so that we can uh, know God more and experience his love and his grace more. So how do we do that? 
How do, how do we come to that point where we, we can trust God with our wealth? Right? We've got to see uh, that in the gospel, God became poor for us. Paul tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians, um, let's see where I got it right here. 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Until you see that Jesus was infinitely rich for you, and he gave all, he, he was infinitely rich, he was infinitely wealthy, and he gave that up for you in the gospel to come and give out his riches to you, we will, we will always trust God with our money. I'm sorry, we will always um, trust our money. Like it will become our ultimate God. It will be our source of power and comfort and security. But when we see in the gospel that Jesus gave up his riches for us, then we will give up our riches for him. Then we'll give up um, not not just our our material wealth, but we'll give up our power. We'll give up our self-righteousness. We'll give up our pride. And we will experience eternal life. Uh, there There was a rich young man that came to Jesus once. And he said, uh, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus said, hey, you know, you know, the, you know, the commandments, he said. Uh, he said, uh, keep the commandments. And the young man said, which one? And he said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And this young man said, I've done all these. What more do I still need to do? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And the text says that he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And then I love the disciples and Peter, that Peter's standing there and he looks around and he's like, hey, Jesus, we gave up everything and followed you. What do we get? <laughs> and Jesus says, I'm going to quote him. Jesus says, everyone who gives up um, mother and father and land and riches and everything in this life for me, and they come, they follow me, they're going to have a hundredfold. And in the next life, they're going to have eternal life. When we give up our our power and our privilege, when we give up our, our, our worship of money and the power that it gives us, then we experience more of this life. We actually know God more. And we experience that the eternal life that God has for us comes into this life. We know God more. We know Jesus more. We know the grace of the gospel more. Um, that's what David is saying in this word. And that's what I think Paul and Jesus are saying. And, and um, I think that's the good news for us this morning. Is no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, that we can trust God's power um, in times of silence, in times of prayer, and in times of wealth, in times of riches. So let's go to God now like weak and poor and needy, dependent children and ask him to help us do that. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, uh, this good news. Father, that you have done everything necessary in Jesus to save us, to rescue us, to rescue us from our own power and our own pride and our own privilege. Now we come to you this morning and we confess that in times of silence, we have trusted um, ourselves and our own knowledge and our own power and not you. Uh, we, have, we have doubted your goodness. We have doubted your love. We have doubted your power. So we pray that you'd forgive us in the name of Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to trust you enough to pour out our heart 
Help us to pray like little children. Help us to pray as a weak, needy, dependent children that love you and know that you are our good Father. And if you've given your only Son for us, how will you not graciously give us all things? Help us to trust you with our wealth, Father. It is so easy for us to trust our money or for us to think that if I just had more money, then things would be better. Father, money is a false God. We pray, Lord God, that you help us to trust you more. We thank you that in the gospel, Jesus became rich. So we, Jesus became poor. So we might become rich. So we might experience true eternal life. And that eternal life is knowing you more through Jesus. So we pray that you help us do that. In the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.